you're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Okay, we're going we're gonna to be in, uh, in Mark chapter 11. Three uh, very strange verses, uh, a lot held there, a lot of power in them, a lot of clarity in them. Uh, from, the, from the message Sunday morning, I'm going to go there and then, then take this step. You know, as, as, you, as you heard me say, we, we typically tell this, call the story the, 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 the story of the, of the woman caught in adultery. When the, when the equally the tragic story is the Pharisee who was caught in his sin. Because the real unfortunate part of what happens in our lives week in, week out, believers, non-believers, we, we, neither of us are immune. But when we, when we recognize what happened in the Pharisee, you, you heard me say Sunday morning that there was one who came into that moment guilty and she knew it, feeling the shame and she had experienced it and she left righteous. But the one who came in thinking he was righteous the one who, who, who came in thinking that he had everything together, that there was no flaw in him, left guilty. Now that's an interesting juxtaposition, one character against the other. But the sad part was that when this Pharisee, now being fully understanding that he was guilty, that he didn't turn to Jesus. Why, upon that realization, didn't he turn? It's because, as, as I explained, you know, and I used the example, and Tony and I talked about this later, that he saw the same core sample that I did. The, the core, when they would drill and the core samples came out, it comes out as solid rock. I mean, it's, it's rock that they're drilling through. And again, the one, out, one of the ones that was out at the slaughter, it was broken, and there was this seashell. 5,000 feet deep, and there's a whole other story about why that occurred. But, uh, and I, my explanation was that the reason that it breaks is because it was laid down, sediment was laid down in real thin layers over, over a lot of time. And under time and pressure, it became real hard. It became a rock. So when we recognize what happens in us, when our anger is allowed to exist and stay, it lays down like layers. When our unbelief lays there, it lays like layers. When our resentment of others, bitterness, when our judgment of others lays undealt with, it lays like sediment, almost indetectable, building up year by year by year, and over time and pressure, it becomes hard inside us a rock in us, an unyielding rock. And unfortunately, that's not a description of those who are lost 
becomes a description of those who believe. A hardness in them. Something unyielding. Something that even when God shows truth, they won't yield to it. They won't give to it. They won't accept it. The Pharisee walked away from the greatest opportunity that the Pharisee would have ever had to take away all those sediments of arrogance, all that sediment of pride, everything that had built up in him over all those years. And again, the minute that he would have turned, we know it because when he turned to walk away, the others followed him. What would have happened if he'd have turned toward Jesus and, and been forgiven there in that moment, just like she was? What would have happened to the ones behind him? They would have turned as well. So do we think there's importance in our decisions, in the ones watching us. But so often we find a hardness in believers who won't yield even when truth is held up. They won't, they won't respond and they won't hear it. When we come to this scripture and now in Mark chapter 11, we have to ask ourselves in the end some very basic questions. I'm, there's three verses we're going to look at. Mark 11, beginning with, with verse 12 and through 13 and 14. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, and he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto, unto it, unto the tree, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now, we read that, and it's like this, is one, this has to be a strange moment, because when does this happen? What's the timing of this? Well, in re, what had just happened is Jesus had just ridden into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey. I mean, he's hours away from the crucifixion. He's hours away from the upper room of the conversation that he's going to have in John 14, 15, and 16. And he has this moment. He comes into Jerusalem from Bethany, and, and a fig tree is there. Got leaves on it. He goes to the fig tree. There's nothing there for him to eat because he was hungry. And he curses the fig tree. And we ask ourselves, what in the world does this mean? But when we get it, there's a message in it for us and a warning to us and a blessing that gets attached to it if we'll understand what he was actually trying to tell us. So the background is there. Jesus coming into Jerusalem. In the night after he rode in, he went to Bethany, perhaps to the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, back to Jerusalem the next morning, and he's hungry. He's searching for something. He's looking for something. Well, again, if, if we will just start right there, we need to understand that Jesus today is as hungry today as he was in this hour. What did he want when he went to the fig tree? He wanted the fruit that that tree could produce, and there was none. What's he hungry for today? Fruit. He's hungry for fruit. Now, 
if we could see the scene that was, that was there, we would have to ask ourselves, why didn't he curse the other trees? Because that, what, that certainly wasn't the only tree there. There were other trees, other kinds of trees that had leaves, no fruit, yet they weren't cursed. So what does that represent? I mean, in this illustration, this powerful illustration that Jesus is giving us of something greater than the fact that he had a moment with a tree, there, I, I don't think we struggle to believe there's surely there's something in this for us other than the fact that it got recorded that Jesus had a fuss with a tree. So what does it mean? Why not the other trees? The other trees had leaves, but there was no fruit on them. And I'm not talking about fig trees, other types of trees. But there was no curse on those. Why not? Because there are places, even in the religious world, where there are traditions, there's ritual, there's opinions, but no faith. There's talk without expression. There's, there's meetings with no experience, gatherings with no encounter. There are all of those things that happen. There is, there is resolve, but no action that comes with it. There's an announcement, but no love attached. And, and we see this across, across religion everywhere, across denominations, all kinds of denominations. And guess what? He doesn't care that there's no fruit there because you can't produce fruit from there. You can't produce fruit out of dead religion. He's not expecting fruit from dead religion. We may be in a building, we may be in something that looks like church, there may be leaves, but he has no expectation of anything occurring because all that's existing there is dead religion. He has no expectation of dead religion. There were others, I'm sure, other trees where there were no leaves and no fruit and no curse. Those who have never heard, those who have heard and rejected, you think he would expect fruit from them? No. No curse. Only this combination. Leaves on a fig tree, but no fruit. Now there's a curse. Well, there's uniqueness in the fig tree because the fig tree typically represents Israel. Now, not exclusively, but Nine out of ten times it will represent Israel. Leaves, no fruit. On a fig tree, when there's leaves, there's fruit. So what's happening? He sees from a distance leaves. What are the leaves advertising? That there's fruit there. You've given every sign to me. Everything there is announcing I can anticipate fruit. And he gets there and there's none. So when we begin to understand, he's not upset that the fig tree didn't have fruit on it because it says that it was completely out of season for the fig tree to have fruit. So if he had seen that tree and there had been no leaves on it, he would, it's like it's out of season. 
It's strange that he's reversed this picture so that we would see something that he wants us to see here. Think about this. If a fig tree has leaves, it has fruit. In season, out of season, the expectation of the one coming to eat, the one coming hungry, is that if you're going to put on display leaves, you're making an announcement of fruit. And I got there, and there was no fruit. The leaves announce fruit, figs. Not supposed to have figs, but the leaves announced that it did. So who's he talking about here? What's this representing? What is this appearance of faith, but no fruit? Oh, yeah. We appear to be faithful. We appear to be concerned. We appear to announce the reality, the worship of God. We sing and we raise our hands and we make this announcement of God, this is who you are and, we are, and we're telling this story and we're sharing about faith and we're making this pronouncement and the leaves are on display and he's coming into this place thinking, what am I going to find in here? I'm going to find fruit. I'm going to find lives converted. I'm going to find obedience. I'm going to find sacrifice. I'm going to find lives that have been healed, diseases that have been taken away. I'm going to find the fruit because these people are advertising faith. They're advertising that I'm here. They're advertising that this is the place of power. They're advertising that this is the place that where lives will be transformed. Why would I not come in anticipating that what they're claiming is actually true? He's not expecting it from dead religion. He's not expecting fruit from those who are lost. He is expecting fruit from those who have discovered, from those who announce, those who declare, those who say we are, Those are people of prayer. We are people of faith. We are people who trust. We believe in God. We're making all the announcements. Where's the fruit? You think there's a question? Do you think God should be able to come into a church that he has given as a gift to every believer faith He has given to ever pastor power, has given everyone there love that not only understands the past and the acceptance today, but love by its very nature has an anticipatory quality to it that causes us to look forward to that which God is still about to do. Do you think when God has so equipped us in those terms to even give us his spirit, do you think He would come hungry into that place, anticipating the fruit that that would produce? Yes. Do you think there's a consequence 
when he is so equipped and advertised this place as a, with, by the leaves, by all that he's done and all that we sing about, would you be free from, from this power of sin? Yeah, why? Because there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood of Jesus. We sing the songs. Leaves. Where's the fruit? Is there power in that blood? You see, he's making a huge statement. We've got to realize where he is. He's hours away from the Jews killing him. From the handing, being handed over to the Romans for, for, for his death. He's hours away from this, and what's he saying? Why would he come into that place with this, with, with this kind of a position to make this kind of a statement and say, what, Israel, what have I done for you? You're, you're announcing you have had this profession from the Pharisees, from others, that you are the blessed people. You're announcing you're the chosen people. You, are, you announce by your actions that you are followers of God. They professed to have the light. They professed holiness before God. They professed superiority in their faith. God says, all right. It's okay. I see the leaves. Where's the fruit? Where is the fruit? And we see in this moment, realizing where we are in this story, realizing that if I go back to Matthew 21, 43, Jesus makes this announcement that I'm going to form for myself a new nation, a nation that's never been a nation. Why? Because the Jews would not produce the fruit that they were set aside to produce. So who's producing the fruit that Israel was designed to produce today? The church. We were grafted into that root. We are producing the fruit that they refuse to produce. When are they going to get to produce that fruit? When will Israel get to produce the fruit that he wanted them to produce? Based on this picture, when will they get to do it? What did Jesus say in verse 14? And Jesus answered and said, No man eats fruit of thee hereafter forever. They won't get to. They won't get to produce this fruit of evangelism, this fruit of restoration. They won't get to produce this fruit of, of outreach, of ministry, of blessing. Because what happens to Israel now is captured in the seven years of Revelation. We get that from Daniel chapter 9. 490 years he's going to visit upon his people and upon the holy city. 490 years. It's not hard to count from the day that Nehemiah got that decree. In Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm sorry, Nehemiah chapter 2. When that decree comes, because Daniel 9 gives a specific beginning. From that decree to coming a Messiah the Prince, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of this donkey, we just read it, four, it's 483 years, and you can count it. From the coming forth of that decree to, coming to, the, to the appearance of Messiah, 
the prince. When Jesus is riding on the back, on the back of that donkey, when the first time he would allow himself to be recognized as a king, 483 years. And what did Israel do? Rejected him. So Israel was set aside because somebody else would produce this fruit. It's us. And what have we done with the opportunity? We took it right back and have, in many ways, not God understands all this. He understands what I'm trying to say, though I may not say it well. How will we squander the opportunity? We recreate the same religion that bound them up. We create the same religion now that binds us up. We let the same layers form, those layers that say, yeah, we're supposed to be divided. Yeah, those people believe like this. That's a layer. And then there's another one and another one. Something gets hard inside of us. And for us to be talking about the Bible study in Lubbock and we go church to church to church that don't have anything on Wednesday night in your building. Could we rent your building on Wednesday night? No. No, you can't. He's coming expecting fruit. I was sharing again why this shirt's cut. Why there's a section gone out of this shirt. Because sitting in my office, God showed me that we were supposed to anoint this young man with oil. And before I ever saw it, I saw myself taking the scissors and cutting this section out and anointing that, that piece with oil. So that if Satan tries to come back around and he can hold that, he can hold that rag as a reminder of what, what the Holy Spirit has just done. I'm not bragging, but that's fruit. It wasn't me, it was him. I didn't have the power to do anything in that room but he did, and all he needed for me to do was to be obedient to the little things he saw me do. He showed me to do. Just be obedient. Parker sitting in there, he's, and he's, I'm, I'm, I'm turning toward the whiteboard, and he says, stop just a second. He tells this young man, I said, I want you to look forward. And he snaps his finger in this young man's ear. He says, okay, you can go on. Why did he do it? Because that's what he saw. Obedience. That's fruit. The transformation of lives. Fruit. And I'm so grateful for this place that we anticipate it. That we encourage it. We look forward and, and to him being God still and, for, and fruit because he has so equipped us to be fruit producers, what did he leave out? What are we lacking? What, what are the leaves that he's put over this place? What are they advertising? They're advertising that if he wants to show up here hungry for fruit, there's, there's a group of people here that are equally hungry for the fruit and live in anticipation of what God's going to do. 
for Melissa to stand up here in the raincoat. Fruit. Lives transformed, changed, restored, healed. Fruit. I'm so grateful that God knew what he's do, knows what he's doing, not asking me to know, just letting him do what he does in all of us so that if he shows up here, which he does often, he doesn't walk away hungry. Here's the question. Is an inconsistent, unfruitful believer the highest work of God? Is, did he do what he did with the intention of creating inconsistent and unfruitful believers? No. So what's he anticipating? Well, this, this story tells it well. Saw the leaves. Even out of season. Okay, it's out of season. But the leaves are advertising. You can come here and expect the fruit. I, I live joyfully and heartbroken all at the same time. Joyful because I watch the fruit produced. I watch it here. I watch it in your lives. I watch the healing. I watch the impact. I watch what happens. And I live joyfully. But man, it doesn't take long. If you let your eyes go very far and you realize that, that we didn't win a lottery here, we, we, we weren't just chosen and nobody else was, That's, that, that creates an arrogance within itself. There's not anything he's doing here that he doesn't want to do everywhere. There's no uniqueness in us. Because the same thing that he gave to us, he's given to many. He's given to, to the multitudes of those who believe. All anticipating fruit. It helps you understand why the judgment seat looks like it does. It helps you understand what happens when we stand before the, before the judgment seat someday and him asking what we did in the body that he gave us, 2 Corinthians 5, that there would be this day where we would receive what we've done in the body, whether it be good or bad, because we're standing at the Bema. It helps, him, it helps us understand that, that he's standing there now, hungry for, for the fruit that should have been produced, and it wasn't produced. He hungers holiness, but what we seem to think that his best and his highest work would produce no more than a poor, unhearing, unseeing, fruitless deceiver. Three little verses dropped into an unusual place and he made about his biggest statement in that moment about the rejection of of him after he had provided a full provision. He said, I came unto my own and my own received me not. 
John chapter 1. I equipped you, I made you ready, I chose you to be these people. I came with a message for you, I came announcing to you first, Matthew 3, first announcement to the Pharisees, repent by John the Baptist, the kingdom is here. Gave them the first opportunity to change their mind, but the layers were already there, building, and the hardness in them had already formed. Why didn't they hear John the Baptist? What did they say in response? Oh, we have Abraham. We have the oracles of God. We're already set. We're already chosen. We're already good. Jesus, we, you may be coming selling something else. We don't need it. We've already, we've already arrived. We don't need anything else. There was a hardness that had already formed in them. From arrogance and pride, and they didn't need anything else. And they said no when he asked them to change their mind. Powerful three verses. So what what does it tell us? It says he's anticipating fruit. It says, I equipped you. The leaves are there. You want to, Israel, you want to avoid the curse? Church, you want to avoid the curse? Let him produce the fruit so that his anticipation will be fully met. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.